So I thought, it, I thought like the move that you made to sort of uh, forego speculation about why people are so reticent to name racism as a sin was an interesting one. Um, and it's sort of the, the move beyond that speculation to just say this is the theological significance of it, is that what it amounts to is a, a denial of God being a gracious God slash an allegation that racism is a sin that's unforgivable. So I think that's where I want to start. I guess I want to ask you what you think the significance of making that kind of move is. Like, why is that what you decided to do in this talk? And, and then maybe also, like, what might be the sort of practical or, or ministerial or relational value of doing that? So, I mean, the reason I decided to make that move is because in a lot of my experience in talking about racism, whether it's people who are really willing to talk about it or people who are really hesitant, um, they never want to name people as racist. Mm -hmm. I think I kind of talked about, I mean, I did talk about that um, in a way that makes me think that they don't think that that person gets to go to heaven. Mm. Um, mm. Just like that, that just is, it's hopeless. If, yeah. if you're racist, good luck, because God's not with you, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think I just wanted to do the work to show how talking about it or not talking about it appropriately mm -hmm. actually kind of undermines the entire gospel that we say that we believe in. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. That's good. Why do you think people think that they'll go to hell if they turn out to be racist? If it turns out that they committed the sin of racism? Why the special treatment or the special like significance of that sin? I don't know. I think I don't I mean honestly I don't think that a lot of people have much experience talking about sin in general. Mm -hmm. But with this one specifically, we definitely don't have um, the level of accountability or anything in place mm -hmm. to like, show a person how not to be racist. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when a person's dealing with other kinds of sins, you know, specifically sexual sin, we have like things to hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to racism, I think a lot of times maybe it feels a little bit more abstract and we mm -hmm. don't know how to like approach that. And so, I mean, I guess people don't want to admit to it because they don't know how to go about not being that way. Right. That's, I don't know. I feel like that's just like stuff. Yeah. So relatedly, I did also appreciate your, your willingness in this conversation to be like, and, and it sounds like maybe part of the reason you did this is even for like your own sanity or something, to be like, I'm not gonna try to convince you that it's a thing, yeah. right? Um, and yet, part of what you said just now about like the fact that we don't have uh, the kind of conversational infrastructure in place or something, there's something lacking in a shared understanding uh, among at least white Christians to, to do that work to actually claim racism as an ordinary, I mean, to, to an extent your talk is like, racism gets to be an ordinary part of Christian discipleship and the relating to one another that is, that we do. Like a natural part of the mundane reality of the, of the body of Christ is that we deal with one another's sins, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, this gets to be part of that mundane reality, right? But there, there's something missing. There's a lot of things missing. Um, 
to let it be that, right? Um, I don't think that's news to you, but I wonder if you could talk about what some of those things are. Like, are there first steps um, for, and I guess part of what I'm, why I'm asking this is because like, I know that you've done some very patient work with some folks, right? To, to do some of that convincing and persuading and educating as well. Mm-hmm. Is my question making sense? Yeah, so I think I just, like, folks don't, as you said, everyone agrees there's, like, that racism is a sin. Mm-hmm. Like, like, but when it comes to actually finding a person who's doing it, mm-hmm. that's where it breaks down, right? Yeah, yeah, like, we all were like, yeah, racism exists, but we don't know any racists. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, I think a part of it is... Siobhan kind of talked about this in her talk, good relationship, I think that's a really big mm-hmm. one. So the other night, Chase and I were talking, and just casually, I was like, hey, are you hesitant to say that you're racist? Mm-hmm. I mean, like... You said this to Chase. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't... At least for me, I think I might be just, like, too excited to be talking about this, but I don't think there's, like, any mystery around asking a question like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even here we've talked about, uh, not necessarily racism, but with sin people just like being really scared to say that they're sinners, mm-hmm. like specifically. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe like destigmatizing it and just like straight up asking people, hey, are you racist? Mm-hmm. You know? and, and just like kind of gauging their reaction. I think a lot of that actually has to be done in you know intimate relationship where people trust each other mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't think that's an inappropriate question. And you should be in all of, I mean, you should be in people's business like that, especially if you're gonna decide to be in the body right. of Christ. So yeah. I don't think that, I mean, if you want to be my friend, I'm probably going to ask you if you're racist. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, but also people, people reveal that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I think it seems to me that that's one of the things that's, that's potentially missing. Mm-hmm. Even, even apart from the conversation about racism, is just that, that we should be in each other's business in that way. Yeah. Is not, is regrettably like not agreed upon by a whole lot of Christian communities. There's nothing in the Bible to, to suggest otherwise. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite evident that Christians are in each other's business in that way in the Bible. And they have none of that sense of like propriety about like your sin gets to be private and like you sort of get to decide if it is or not and all that, right? Yeah. Um, so it's alarming, whether it's about racism or anything else, to most Christians, in America at least, to even think that at all, like that you should be in someone's business. Yeah, I'm thinking about the ways that, like, um, I don't know, maybe I'm just, like, maybe it's not true, and this is just what I think, but, I mean, it just feels like nobody actually can tell you that you're racist. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, that's something that you should and can know for yourself. Mm -hmm. But I just don't think that's true. I think chances are Mm -hmm. you probably don't know that. And it takes time and being with other people, specifically, like, people of color, to find that out about yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. So I want to ask this question to you and maybe also have like a moment of brainstorming collectively, mm-hmm. if that's okay. So like how could we normalize like, like in actual relationships and in the course of being Christians, just like in whatever communities where we find ourselves, how can we begin to normalize that a bit? Does that make sense? Like yeah. um, what are some ways of, of talking that we're not doing right now that would help other Christians that maybe haven't 
you know, drunk this Kool-Aid yet, um, that uh, it's all right. And actually, God can forgive you for this. And you're not, you know, the earth is not going to open up and swallow you once you realize that you did a racist thing. Any ideas from you or anyone else? What do you all think? Does the question make sense? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Other thoughts on this? Mm -hmm. And instead of thinking about it from a Christian standpoint, you know, it's impossible for some of these people in the United States to separate the two things from the politics. And so it's like, oh, this was like the vague stain on America, whereas how long it took for us to even watch the civil rights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, Jesus is fighting the Yeah, I think I want to come back to that as well later, so bookmark there. Yeah, Laura. Mm-hmm. 
Right. I mean, I can I say something? Sure. I also think that, um, like, just don't be so sure that you're not. Yeah. Don't be so convinced that you're not. Even, I mean, I, like, I know that I have work to do, especially in regards like this. And it's not just towards white people. It's the ways that I have negatively viewed black people as well, and that, like, we are all affected by it. Yeah. And I think starting at that place, knowing that every single one of us, in different ways, very negatively, have been affected by racism. Mm -hmm. um, whether you think that your parents are or not, whether you think that, I mean, even if you know that the church that you went to back home is wrong, don't be so sure just because you disagree that you don't have right. the, the capacity to like have those kinds of thoughts. Yep. Um, or because you've never acted on any of uh, any of the racist beliefs that you have, don't be so sure that maybe one day you might not. And, and I'll tell this example. So Shalise, yeah. I mean, the interns and I uh, last year were all here cleaning the Wesley, and this large black man shows up on the back porch shirtless. Um, uh, I was scared. I was like, what the freak is he doing here? Mm -hmm. uh, I had no reason to think that, first of all. And so actively I had to be like, Okay, well, I mean, just like go ask him if he wants some water, because mm -hmm. I'm like, I think that's what Jesus would do, you mm -hmm. know. But that doesn't mean that I'm not, I'm not aware of the ways that like I've already mm -hmm. made prejudgments about him, yeah. about the kind of person that he is, what he can and can't do. Yep. And so I think like every single one of you are yes. capable of doing something like that. Mm -hmm. Probably already has. So. Yeah. I think that is just yes. You're that's a, that that's really the thing. Um, not being so sure, um, and, and like letting that like that vigilance mm -hmm. um, to of, of like awareness of your own weakness and propensity to like not somehow be beyond or above this, letting that like be visible to other people um, as well, like not just sort of privately internally, but like mm -hmm. letting that be something that's like brought out into the open and that you're seeking other people's counsel on. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's good. Any other thoughts on this, on normalizing this? Uh, hold on, actually, I, I, did, I did wanna like just emphasize something Laura said. I think that it is, and this is also connected to what you're saying, like, it is really easy, even with any scent, but I think especially because of the, the sort of hypersensitivity that we have to, you know, the chasm of hell opening up and swallowing us because we're racist. That you're, you're, that you're pointing our attention to here, um, it's very easy for a, a moment of confrontation, which is one of the main things you emphasize we need to start doing, right? Mm -hmm. Like we gotta tell people yeah. and ask people questions and those things. It is easy for those moments um, for people to receive it as if you do stand totally outside of the thing that you're diagnosing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I think you have to do even more, and I don't always do a great job of this myself. I, I can point to specific friendships and specific conversations where I, I walked away from a, a, a friendship for a while very confidently being like, this person decided to be racist. I called them out. They didn't want to do anything about it, and so we're not friends anymore. Feeling pretty good about my, I mean, not like good about myself, but it was just like, I'm good. There's no blood on my hands, right? 
But the reality is that I didn't do the work in that situation that I should have or could have, that if I was actually deeply concerned about this person and not just concerned about knowing that I did confront them for my own conscience sake, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could have done a little bit more work to throw them a line yeah. so that they didn't feel that their only choices were either def- defensiveness like, or the chasm of hell or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, what were you going to say? Like, we shouldn't label people as racist? Well, the fact that people refuse, like, really just not want to be labeled as racist, isn't that like a sign of progress from, like, the years of segregation and racism? Oh. Like, progress or? Uh, I don't know that I see that as progress. No. I think, I think that's just because they're still, but that's because I don't think that they're recognizing the ways that racism has changed and evolved over time. And that's why they, and so when they think racist, maybe they're thinking about specific actions that people might not partake in anymore. But that doesn't mean, so him saying, I mean, I'm just assuming it isn't him, but whoever's saying that slur in a song, I've never made that mistake. And, and so I'm like, and if that keeps happening habitually, then there's something really deep rooted that has to and I don't think that people being afraid to be labeled a certain way means that we should shy away from telling them the truth about themselves. So I don't, I don't and, I, and yeah, I mean, anybody else maybe, I mean, you can speak up about it too, but I don't, I don't know that I see that as progress. Okay, so there's two big questions, I think, in the question you're asking. One is the question of whether or not the fear of being labeled a racist is a sign of progress. The other one is, I think, I, I would like to rephrase the question this way. Um, when confronting racism in, in relationships, Kalila, like, um, do you, is there value in letting there be a distinction between calling a thing that someone did ra- a racist act and calling that person a racist? I'm just, listen, I'm thinking about the conversations that I've had, and I don't know anybody that's committed a racist act that wasn't racist. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe maybe in their ignorance. Hmm. But the people I, but the people I'm thinking about, like, it's a lot of acts. Uh-huh. Uh, it's 
behaviors, it's thought patterns, it's sure. the way that they're running their congregations. Yeah. And so it's not just that they're doing things, it's that they're allowing other people to also be doing things that are racist. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm like, to me, I'm, you're also racist. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, if you're not willing to, like, mm -hmm. call other people out. So I'm like, I haven't had experience of, like, a person only committing one racist act. That's never been my mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I don't say like, I don't know, like a, I don't call someone like, oh, you did a, you're someone who did a sin, not you're a sinner, right? Like, yeah. And the same with like, I don't know, I was talking to a professor once who like somebody, like some kid played drives in her class and the, the dad came to her and was like, you should like not become the person who would do that. And she was like, well, that's not really up to what she did. So that's like not up to <laughs> Uh-huh. Laura? Can I also, I also want to say that, like, I think that, like, the fear of, like, being labeled something is, like, kind of what Cleo was, like, trying to address about, like, naming racism at the beginning, um, is that, like, because, like, we're afraid that we can't be forgiven of it, or that means, like, that means that, like, we're condemned, you know what I mean? Like, like if, if you're, like, afraid of being labeled racist because you think that that means you're condemned, Mm -hmm. Which is what Clula was saying. Yeah. yeah. I also think that, like, there are plenty of situations to be like, hey, that thing you did was racist. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do. Right. And we don't, and, th and that doesn't become necessarily in that moment a conversation about how that person is racist. Right. But we're naming that specific speech, that specific action, that specific belief as a racist one. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, again, like, if that becomes something that's habitual, then, like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm like. Mm -hmm. I have sort of, I have thoughts about this at sort of two levels. And so you tell me what you think about this, Clea. It is conspicuous and not unimportant that we do the things y'all are talking about, that we, that there's this like special treatment when it comes to um, this particular sin, um, where we, even if we're willing to admit the action itself, we, we still would like to be able to build a wall and keep from being able, keep from having to say, I'm a racist. Um, so I agree with all that. Um, I think that probably a person that does racist things that isn't a racist is probably not any more likely to exist than like a unicorn. Um, so I agree with all that. Does that make sense? Like, um, and at the same time, I find in actual relationships with people where I am doing the work of confronting them that um, if I can get them to be like, this was racist, this thing that I did was racist. And I don't usually try to be like, you're not a racist, but this thing you did was racist. Mm -hmm. But I do, at times, I'm like, let's just, because step one so often seems to be, this counts. 
right? As racism, this thing you did counts as racism. And that's a really important step, not just to get them to be able to repent, but also along the way of like education. Because that's one of the things that we, that, that white Christians really lack when it comes to this topic is like we have, I mean, not being educated about it is not an accident, right? But getting educated about it takes work. And if I can get a person to be like this thing that where I didn't say the N-word, and yet you want me to believe that it was racist nonetheless, it's a, that's a pretty big like hurdle to get most people over. Um, and if I get them over that hurdle, I feel like I'm, uh, we're a lot closer to not only them be beginning, like, like having a bit of awareness that they didn't have before, but also to be, to, they've taken a step along the path to one day being able to say, oh yeah, I'm a racist, and like I'm learning to repent of that, you know what I mean? And so I, how do you feel about that? Like, this, the, yes, theoretically, I don't think there's such a thing as a person that does racist stuff that isn't also a racist. But I guess what I'm saying roughly is like in practice or pastorally, I don't always feel it necessary to start there. You know what I mean? I'd, yeah, I don't think you have either, um, but yeah. I think in conversations like that, you just like have, I mean, for me, I'm like, I need to know what are the things that we agree about. Mm -hmm. um, so in that conversation that I had with my pastor at that church, one of the first questions I asked was like, do you know that people in your congregation are racist? Mm -hmm. And his answer was yes. I was like, great. I'm like, we agree about that thing. And so mm -hmm. I think it's like moving um, like asking questions to see where we do and don't agree and as soon as we get to something that like maybe we disagree about or we don't see eye to eye on or there are different perceptions I think we that's that becomes the starting place mm. but I also think that it's important about like what your goal is is your goal mm. to like tell somebody that they're racist and then abandon them well I mean I'm sure you can do that and start there but um, if it actually is to like tell a person that the ways that they have been speaking and acting have been hurtful to you as a person of color, I think that is much easier to do. And you get, and I mean, if a person yeah. really loves you, then you get a lot of, you actually get like a lot of leeway with that. Yep. Or headway. Yeah. To, to the yeah. The progress thing. You're addressing the like, is this a sign of progress? Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. People who are trained to be like, what are racist don't give you any of the words to be like, but 
Okay. I'd like to say more about it if I can. I think this is extremely helpful, what Alana is saying. I also just want to say that, like, um, I think one of the reasons why there are actual explanations, I think, that we, like, like, that we can derive historically as to why this as a sin strikes us as, like, atomic in the ways that you're helping us see. And I think the, the, historically, the short answer for why, like, societally, which doesn't mean not personally, but the societally that we have that fear about it is that um, you really, you have to, like, Alana said earlier that, like, you know, the civil, in the civil rights movement, we dealt with, like, the racist sin of America, and, like, we want to believe that, like, it's over, and we don't, we, we want to, like, really think that we're, like, safe from that stain being on us in any way, shape, or form. And that, I think, is true. But, but actually, um, there's even more to say about that, which is that, like, you have to remember that in the civil rights movement, it's not like America decided during that time to be like, let's finally actually deal with what we did. There has never been a time in the history of America where all of society or the South or anyone did anything but continue to kind of deny mm -hmm. the problem on a mass scale. Does that make sense? It's not as though the South, after the Civil War, was like, you know what? That's not something we should have done. Uh, much less the United States as a whole. It's not as if the United States was like, oh, all of us that have been benefiting from this slave economy, um, like, we have some kind of collective societal repentance of that. We started to do it with Reconstruction, sort of, but we stopped that because it wasn't efficient and it wasn't economically expedient and there was a lot to be gained by, by sort of being done with that. Mm -hmm. And so, like, our society hasn't repented for it ever. And instead, we've put a lot of energy into convincing ourselves that we can move beyond it which, and so as a whole, the truth is that at like a deep level, we sense as Americans that our society is not legitimate, okay? Um, and we, have, we feel like the world is going to end if we are honest about that. Yeah. We're like, now what? If America is bad, and it is, guys, America is bad. Here's why. Um, a bunch of European folks came over here and killed all the brown folks, or most of the brown folks that were here, and took all their stuff. Um, and then all the wealthy ones, after having run out of, of white-skinned folks that they could exploit, went over and abducted people from somewhere else and exploited them in order to build the society. Tell me what in that history... Where's the, where's the baseline good thing there? I'm not saying nothing good has ever happened here. I love national parks. <laughs> you know? Um, libraries are great, okay? There's lots of great stuff here, okay? But it's not ours. You know what I mean? So that doesn't mean America has to end, but for America to not... I mean, there's an extent to which for this to not feel like this atomic sin that it does, I think we would have to live in a society where we did what Germany did 
after World War II where they were like, oh, we killed six million Jews. And, and we are now going to build a society in which we have to pay attention to that, right? We've never done that as a society. And so it is actually terrifying, like at a, like a deep and almost unconscious like existential level for people to be like, I'm a racist still. Because it does tow along with it, that whole, that whole unresolved past on some level. Does that make sense? That doesn't mean that's what people are thinking about. They're like, oh, no, we didn't finish Reconstruction. I can't say that I'm a racist. Does that make sense? Um, but I think that's part of what's, at a societal level, that's part of what's going on in that. And that is why, to go back to Lucas's question, no, it isn't a sign of progress. That doesn't mean that progress hasn't been made. Like, so for sure, um, Serious progress has been made in terms of engaging racism in the United States of America. And all that means is that we have hope to continue fighting it. It doesn't mean, I don't know if this is not what you're saying, Lucas, but, um, or at least I think this is not what you're saying, but it, that doesn't mean that we therefore need to be like, hey, stop complaining. We're good, right? There's Martin Luther King. We can move on. Or whatever. So I've been talking for like a thousand hours. Anyway. <laughs> can you talk about, Maybe we already covered this space, but I, I mean, on that note, I found myself thinking about um, the story of the rich young ruler um, it, while you were talking as well, um, because there's so much, I think people sense that they have a lot to lose on some level in admitting that they've done a racist thing. Um, you want to talk about that at all? It's okay if not. It's not that. I just, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have any experience with that. So my first question is like, what is it? Well, my first question is, what is it that people think that they have to lose? Um, and then I thought about like all of the things that I named. Mm -hmm. um, And I think a lot of times, especially with this, and probably with a lot of other sins, we think that we can have Jesus and have this sin too. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking about relationships in which one person is blatantly racist or obviously racist or maybe not even, um, and the other doesn't feel compelled to confront it. Mm -hmm. um, and these are Christians. These are people mm -hmm. who claim to follow the Lord. And I don't know why like that feels like such a powerful example, but I guess it's just because like if you really care about having a relationship where Christ is the center, then you have then you have to. Mm -hmm. um, but people don't want to lose the person that they love mm -hmm. or lots of money mm -hmm. um, and that is I mean that is what like a lot of times is, is at risk especially for people in positions of power mm -hmm. um, it's not popular to like care about oppressed people <laughs> it's really not and so I mean I think a lot of times we like find ways not to. Mm -hmm. um, 
but say that we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just thinking about some podcasts I listen to and how irritated I am with them for, anyway, it's just random, but. Like, like, wait, it doesn't matter. That's sidebar. Anyway. Um, I'm looking back at my list. Give me a second. Okay. Do you want to say more about your title to your talk? So I was doing lecture on that passage, mm -hmm. and I still hadn't had a title when I read it. And then I read that, and I think I liked it so much because not just, I mean, not just John, and not just in that place, but I think what that just like signified so much for me was the ways that he just like so beautifully allowed himself to be a vessel, um, kind of to the point where like, I mean, his name doesn't even matter. You mm -hmm. know? Um, and, and it calls for me to another place in John where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and they're being the Pharisees. And he says to them, I could say much about you in condemnation, but I only say what the Father has taught me. And so I think for both, both what John has to say and what Jesus has to say is that I actually am only mimicking what the Father has taught me. Mm -hmm. And in this talk, um, I mean, these are the words that Jesus gave me. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I mean, that's all I want to say. Yeah. Are, are just the things that, and I mean, sometimes that's not like the only thing I say. But I think, <laughs> I think when it came to this talk, there were a lot of things that I like actually didn't want to say or I didn't want to say it that way. Mm -hmm. But like, that's just the way yeah. that it came out. And so, yeah, I just thought that was really beautiful. People are like asking John. And in, in a lot of ways, what was interesting about that was like the way that they believed in him more than they believed in Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, just about like his divinity. They were like, this person has to be somebody mm -hmm. special. And, and he just like isn't concerned about that at mm -hmm. all. And instead, he just is interested in making a way for the Lord. And yeah, I want to be able to say that like that's what I'm doing yeah. for Jesus' second coming. Yeah. Is there something kind of relieving about that disposition? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of like, um, I think it also is like the reason why I'm like, it doesn't really matter that I graduated or what I majored in. Uh -huh. I'm like, that doesn't really mean anything about me mm -hmm. or the work I feel like God has sent me here to do. Mm -hmm. um, and after being the kind of person who spent so much time trying to figure out who I am, and I'm like, honestly, I'm processing this right now, like, mm -hmm. I'm telling you guys. I remember that retreat where you talked about how like, you don't have to know yourself, and I was like, what? Mm -hmm. But I mean, just like after spending so much time trying to figure out who I am, just like being a person who says things that Jesus has said, mm -hmm. I'm like, that's enough. Yeah. And that's, that's a pretty sweet deal. Yeah. Um, and you, and you get to go to heaven? I'm like, that's, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, 
want to do that. If mm -hmm. I do anything in life, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, I think this is going to be my last question for now before I let the rest of you ask questions. Um, obviously, the, the parable of the prodigal son is really important in your, in your talk. Um, but I guess, like, the whole nature of your talk, like, presupposes that a lot of the work that we have to do isn't with a repentant son coming home, but at least as regards racism, it's with folks who don't even, like, recognize that in this way that they've, they've separated themselves from the father, right? Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if you could share with us, like, what it's been like for you I guess maybe a way to say it is to try to do some of the work that the Father is doing mm -hmm. in embodying the joy of repentance in situations where people don't even necessarily know that uh, they need to be repenting, much less they're not you know, coming home bedraggled in the way that the Son is. Does that question make sense? Yeah. Um, it's sad. Mm -hmm. And not just, again, like, it's not just sad because it like, hurts my feelings. Mm -hmm. And it does hurt my feelings. But mm -hmm. because um, so much of my testimony is just like about forgiveness. I mean, I think like a lot of people can say that. But the reason that I like came to God in the first place is because I didn't know anything about it and I wanted to. Um, and I think about 18-year-old me, and I think about myself now, and I'm like, that is a lot of glory that's happened mm -hmm. between that time. Um, and I, I mean, like, I want that for people. Mm -hmm. I want that for people. And specifically when it comes to racism, I don't think that, I mean, racist people don't usually see themselves as the prodigal son, I don't think. Mm -hmm. um, but I used that illustration, and it, because I mean, Laura and I were talking about it at our house, and I was like telling her that like this is how I'd been thinking about it, and she like started crying, and I was like, I feel like that probably means something. Mm -hmm. um, but just that like we we get to come home, that we aren't like away forever. Um, at least we don't have to be. And at least for me, like that was so that was so significant in my life, and continues to be that. I guess I'm like, that's the message that I want people to know. Yeah. Um, so I do think like a large part of my talk is, I mean, I think geared toward people recognizing the ways that they probably are racist. Mm -hmm. But also just like the hope in like that, you recognizing your own sin, that's really hopeful. Mm -hmm. Because imagine going your whole life and not knowing. Um, and, never, and again, like never really coming into the fullness of Christ. Just like the way that that father received his son. Mm -hmm. That's all I got to say about that. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> yeah, that's good enough. Good. Okay, the rest of you. What things do you want to say or ask, Kalila? Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. But you can too. You're good.
about that. Um, so that pastor that I talked to that I was telling you about, I don't go to that church anymore. Um, but I still pray for them pretty frequently. Um, and not just that they wouldn't be racist, but that like Jesus would really bless them. Um, and that they would, I mean, deeply just like know the love of Christ. And that's not doing nothing. Like praying for people, probably the best thing that you can do. But I will say that like patience is a huge part of that. And, and I mean, tolerant to who? Like to people who are like on the outside and they know that your friend is racist and that you're still friends with them. Mm-hmm. But they don't know, they don't know that relationship and they don't know that you've been calling them out. And so, I mean, if they wanna ask, then that's fine. But I mean, you know that you're doing the work and you know that you're patiently enduring. And I think especially in a lot of relationships, I've seen a lot of hope come from sticking with a person um, and then sometimes it's time to leave and I think and I, I mean I think that that's okay but for the most part like a lot of I mean a lot of my friends have have had work to do and and I, and I think a big part of it too is just like them knowing that you're not going to abandon them um, but yeah I don't I don't think that like I don't I don't see how it could be tolerant when you're actively like holding them accountable. Does that make sense? That's not an easy thing to do. That like takes a toll on people. You definitely need a community for that if you're gonna be like calling people out like that. I don't know if I would want to tell people to wait for having a community to do it though. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. I mean, I agree with what you're saying. Ideally, it's great to have the community that can sort of bear that together. But also, like, so often you're going to find yourself in a place where there isn't the community there that there needs to be, and the way that the best thing you can do is, like, cause a little bit of a ruckus so that there might be one there one day, if that makes sense. But you, I'm sure you agree with that. Yeah. I know because you, yeah. Uh, I think one, one test of, like, whether or not you're being, whether or not you're, like, in the name of compassion just being tolerant of it or, like, enabling a person is, like, whether or not they really know that you said that they did a racist thing. Mm. I mean, and to be more crass about it, like if, I mean, I told a pastor the other day, I was like, listen, if you're not, if like the wealthy white folks in Ruston are not upset with you, um, you're not preaching about racism. You're not talking about it. You know what I mean? And so there's an extent to which like, if nobody ever gets mad, I'm not, what I'm not saying is like, you should, it should be the kind of thing where no one ever has an occasion to get upset. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not even saying you shouldn't fight with your friends. I think you should, actually, especially about something like this. But yeah, so I think um, if a person knows they've been confronted, and that's pretty obvious when somebody knows they've been confronted. Does that answer the question as well? Okay. Yeah. That's a good question. Shalise?
Honestly, that movie we watched, A Hidden Life, mm. that's what it's called? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was a really big reason because... Um, a Hidden Life. <laughs> Terrence Malick, for those of you that want to watch it. Go ahead. Um, because that was just one person doing what was right, and I know more than that. Um, and that was really hopeful, just to see one person Mm-hmm. And so for me, I was like, actually, all it takes is just one person, and I know at least 15. And mm-hmm. so um, <laughs> um, I, think, I think because of that, Jesus also still has hope in the church. I think if, he, if we were all out here just acting a fool, then maybe he'd change his mind. But you know, but actually, the, I don't think that like that just is how the gospel works, because there there just always has been mm-hmm. at least one who's willing to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, um, and God can work with that. And so I think that means that we can too. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking about? A lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, that's just a really good word. Did she answer your question, please? Uh, will you talk for a second about how it's not that radical right now to be against racism? Yeah, I'm just like, listen, there are a lot of things to be radical, I mean, and extreme. Um, and there are less things, I'm just like, people are willing to lose their life for a lot less. And standing up for your brothers and sisters, doing the thing that Jesus told us to do, I don't know, maybe like that doesn't compute, but I'm like, and I guess I guess I also wanna say that it's not like I always believe that, um, like that does take time, but yeah, I don't know, like I don't think that we get, like if we are gonna say that we're radical, I don't know that like this, has to be the reason. I think like comparatively to other churches, like it probably like looks like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, when we start putting all of our money into the same pot and then paying everybody's bills from it, then I'll say that we're radical. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. being against racism, I mean, the bar right. is pretty low. Yeah, and just to be clear, like if we did start putting all of our money in the same pot and paying everybody's bills from it, like we would only be radical by comparison to the world, yeah, not by comparison to the Bible. Definitely. You know what I mean? They like, did it. That's where we get it 
Right, yeah, yeah. so. Mm -hmm. What, relatedly, yeah, I agree. Um, relatedly, uh, talk about, so what, what is peculiarly Christian in, I, I guess like it's, it, we live in North Louisiana where it's very not sexy to be anti-racist, right? Yeah. In, in a lot of ways it's not. Um, there's a ton of other places in the world, though, where it's, or in the United States, where it's like more sexy to be anti-racist, at least. Mm -hmm. If you actually get serious about it, it never is. You're right. Actually being like for oppressed people never actually is. Yeah. But at least at a surface level, um, you don't have to be a Christian in American society anymore to be openly, visibly attempting to do something against racism. Yeah. So... Is the distinctiveness, is there anything to be said about, about, like, about maintaining our distinctiveness as Christians in the midst of that? And if so, like, what are some of the, the, those distinctives, if that makes sense? Um, being willing to die. I think that is the one. Um, not a lot this is why people, I asked you to talk. Huh? This is why I asked you to talk, because <laughs> of answers like that. Go ahead. Being willing to die. I mean, not a lot of people are just like willing to die for anything. I mean, maybe they're kids, you know? Mm -hmm. They're not willing to die for strangers. They're not willing to die for poor people that they don't know. They're not willing to die, I mean, sometimes for their own family members mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, and so being willing to die in obedience, mm -hmm. that is the thing that I think makes us peculiarly Christian. Mm -hmm. I also think that um, being, being compassionate in a way that doesn't make sense. Um, so, I mean, I know a lot of people that know a lot of people who are racist, and they have no issue uh, never talking to them again or canceling them or talking about them like a dog. And, yeah, we just don't do that. Mm -hmm. That's not what we do. Um, especially when people want to repent. Mm -hmm. We love them. Mm -hmm. That's what we love. I mean, we love to see it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that you, you get critiqued for that, for like being compassionate towards people who have sinned in really egregious ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, but when a person is contrite, then, mm -hmm. then you forgive them. And I think that that's what sets us apart, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On the flip side of that, I think that like, at times I felt, I care a lot about the distinctiveness of the church in general. And um, at times, I'm more interested in being anal about actually policing the difference than I am when it comes to racism, um, I guess. So like, I see a lot of people, a lot of, one of the, to me, one of the most important things in your talk is when you were like, don't try to figure out how to be obedient. Don't like first try to figure out how you can do that without taking risks. Mm -hmm. And you named for us a lot of the really important risks that people typically try to avoid taking. I think one of the ones I must consistently see well-intended white preachers um, avoid is the risk of being associated with like secular attempts to resist racism. And however well-intended that attempt might be, it, it frequently is the thing that like neuters their attempt. 
to do it, and, or, or that ends up making it be like really unsatisfying. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, you have any thoughts about that? Have you seen that at all? That attempt to like avoid being associated with not necessarily Christian resistance to racism? I'm going to make some generalizations here. But. I'm sorry, what did you say? Some generalization. <laughs> generalization. I thought you said I'm going to make some gender decisions here. I was like, okay, I don't know, okay. Um, yeah, taking. that too. Um, but I think what they're. People actually don't want to look like liberals, especially here yeah. in the South. Yeah. And a lot of liberals say that they care about racism. Sure. Um, <laughs> um, and so I feel like a lot of Republicans are actually just more concerned with not being labeled as a liberal. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe, I mean, maybe that isn't the case like everywhere in America, but that has definitely been my experience here. Like, for somehow, like, if you're a liberal, you go to hell. You just are anti God. Mm-hmm. And to believe in anything that they have on their agenda mm-hmm. is to be one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I've seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyone else have any thoughts about that? About that question? That attempt to like avoid. Um, I don't know, being associated with like a secular resistance to racism. You all are not interested in this. That's fine. Um, yeah. Prestigious individuals. Thanks for saying. 
example, put before people of um, admitting and repenting for the sin of racism, and therefore people don't understand how to um, or what it should look like. And so, yeah, we don't have this this um, clear picture of what it looks like for someone to stand up and, and confess before their community on a racist, I did this racist thing, um, I, I need help with it. And because of that, no one ever does it. Mm -hmm. you know, we have, we have had in almost every single community, especially in the South, we don't have examples of people doing that um, sort of across the spectrum of churches. And I think that that's probably a reason why, a, a very prominent reason why we run into situations like we did in this meeting uh, where this person was baffled at the idea of doing anything remotely like Jesus. Um, so I was just curious if what I'm saying makes sense to you guys and if you have any thoughts on Um, yeah, I want to tell the story because I think it's really helpful. But I know one instance of a person who did that. <laughs> and it's it was in those conversations that we were having at the bridge. Um, it was like the fourth meeting that we had. I mean, this guy just straight up got, I mean, he stood up and was like, yeah, I'm racist. Uh, Y'all pray for me. Mm -hmm. So we did. And afterwards, I messaged him. And I, I mean, I was like, hey, I just want to encourage you to keep doing that work mm -hmm. uh, and, like, being aware of this. And, and thanks for, like, being honest about that. And so, like I said, it just takes one. You know what I'm saying? Like, somebody already out there has set the precedent. Mm -hmm. um, So too. I think so Alana, are you responding to Chase's question? Uh, no. Oh, could, okay. <laughs> um, let me respond for a minute to Chase's question, if that's okay. Did you have something else you want to say about it? Um, I think there's a lot of stuff going on there. I think, um, and I think some of it is racism specific, and I think some of it 
is like symptomatic of like larger like things that have really atrophied in the practice of Christian community in general. Um, by which I mean we don't have a very robust practice in most churches of public confession of any kind, yeah. whether it's in a small group setting or much less like from the front, yeah. like on Sunday morning. That nonetheless doesn't change the fact that like there are important discrepancies there. So like there are some things that it's not unimaginable to us that someone who's paid staff wouldn't have to, like if they did that thing, they wouldn't, like it wouldn't be that crazy to imagine them having to formally and openly say to everyone, yeah. you know, whether in writing or from the pulpit or whatever, like I did this thing, I shouldn't have done it because it's a you know, rejection of my office or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Um, I don't know. There's some other stuff I wanted to say too, but now I've forgotten it. But, oh, I remember, another thing is this. I, at some churches I pastored in North Carolina one time, admitted to being a racist from the pulpit. Like I told a story about, um, I think it was like I was at the car wash with my kids and there was a, a black guy that was like walking by the car and I like did the like classic like lock my doors thing or something like that. It was something along those lines. I can't remember all the details, but it was like, I told the story of like, here's me just assuming this guy is dangerous because he's black, right? And so I, I, I told that story, not just because it's like true, but also to try to do some of what we've been talking about tonight, which is to try to be like, let's not treat this like it's this very special, like crazy alien sin and like whatever, like hell is, I, did, I didn't get swallowed by the, you know, like hell right then when I said it or whatever. And the way people reacted to that was a, lo- a bunch of people were extremely eager to meet me at the door on their way out the church to assure me that that wasn't racist. Yeah. They were like, don't worry, preacher. It's not, you know, that, it's, everybody feels that way. And I was like, that's the problem. You know, like, <laughs> no, no, no. All right, so, um, but uh, it's still worth doing, I think. Um, so I don't know. Did, did we answer your question? Oh, sorry. I shouldn't have said anything. Yeah. Okay, good. Elena? Because, because of that, plus the, we've all 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, any other questions or thoughts? Yes. sister I mean she's very young she's like 13 and she's like it's not a big deal um, but it is a big deal and and I mean a lot of people even even I am tempted to be like I mean like if somebody came up to me and put a gun to my head and was like tell me all the ways that you've experienced racism um, I mean, I could name a few, but I mean, that is like a source of insecurity for a lot of people that they think that just because they haven't experienced it for themselves, that it might not be an issue overall. But the truth is that it, that it is an issue and there's a lot of other people who have experienced it. And I think that, I mean, I don't, I don't know whether or not you feel comfortable saying that, especially to like black people, but, but you, sh you can tell them that, that like actually other people have experienced it and I mean, it's great that they don't feel like they have, um, that they have, but they definitely also have been affected by it and are being affected by it. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's my take.
also think it just hurts their nonsense. They can't breathe. Yeah. Yeah. And the black person wants to be like, oh yeah, like people think that way about me. Like I didn't want to do it. I didn't. So I got here and I didn't. So that's because I worked here. Yeah, I was gonna say something about about that last part. Is that I think. Um, I mean, all the black people I know acknowledge that racism is a thing. And so, um, but I, I have seen uh, black people just like not want to put themselves with the oppressed party. They don't want to claim that label for themselves because they think it's weak, because they think it makes them look pitiful or um, whatever. But one, that's not anybody's fault. It's like not your fault that you're being oppressed. But also, um, like that just like doesn't make you a weak person. It, I mean, and, and I'm not like, I don't, I don't know that this is the case for the people that you work with, but I know that like this has been the case for a lot of black people um, not wanting to be seen in those ways. And so they, they distance themselves from, from oppression in that way or, or from racism in that way as well. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, certainly. Okay. It's kind of a little bit my testimony, but um, I'm going to read this part from a letter from a Birmingham jail. I texted this to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so he writes, I started thinking about the fact that I stand in the middle of two opposing forces in the Negro community. One is a force of complacency made up of Negroes who as a result of long years of oppression, have been so completely drained of self-respect and a sense of somebodyness that they have adjusted to segregation. And on the other hand, a few Negroes in the middle class who because of a degree of academic or economic security and because of points they profit by segregation, segregation have unconsciously become insensitive to the problems of the masses. The other force is one of bitterness and hatred and comes close to advocating violence. It is expressed in the various black nationalist groups that are springing up over the nation, the largest and best known being Elijah Muhammad's Muslim movement. This movement is nourished by the contemporary frustration over the continued existence of racial discrimination. 
It is made up of people who have lost faith in America, who have absolutely repudiated Christianity, and have con concluded that the white man is an incurable devil. That was my whole childhood. The, the faith that he's talking about here, the, this religion, like that was the religion that I was a part of growing up. And um, yeah, the assumption was that um, all white people are evil. Um, they all have the devil in them. And they can, they can rise above their base nature, but um, they're all naturally deceitful. Um, and some, some of them are just like only capable of telling lies. And so that is how I went through almost like my entire, I mean, honestly, just like the first 18 years of my life is just that like every white person wants to do me harm. Um, and that coupled with like the assumption that every white person is racist until they prove to me that they're not, um, did two things. But one, one of them is that uh, understandably, I like just didn't trust any white person. And the other was that I tried to make myself not be the kind of person that people would want to do harm to. Um, mm. And so, very similar to what I spoke about in the beginning of my talk, wanting to I wanted to justify myself all the time to make myself really likable or um, the kind of person that no one could say a bad thing about. And so the way that that changed was by just like letting white people love me, honestly. Um, my husband was one of those people. There's a whole room of people in here that are those people. Ryan being my spiritual director, that was a really huge one. Um, but I guess I just wanna say that like as far, as far as the church goes, what I wanna point to is the hope that there are people in here that you know that would love a person well. Um, and so, I mean, I, I continue to pray for the church. I think that we all should. And I think that like, we can still like, repent on behalf of the church considering we're a part of it. Um, but as far as like being a part of a group that people have deemed like just bad, um, don't be those bad people, <laughs> but continue to but continue to like be faithful and continue to like tell the truth. Hmm. That's good. It's really good. Katie, let me ask you a follow up question. Um, are you are you like sort of reaching toward cautioning us against making those same kinds of like oversimplifications against certain factions of the body of Christ? Or is it something else? Or, or is your question more about like, just like that it's hard, that the church isn't recognizable right now because of the fact that so much of the body of Christ is are, are like pretty conspicuously hateful? Uh-huh.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is certainly not necessary for us to do that. For us to look at everyone that's not a Christian and say that they're evil. Um, what were you going to say? Were you about to say something? Um. I think we need to be able, I don't know if this is why your question arises or not, but I think like we need to be able, okay, so like there's one side of this where it's like, we do need to be aware of the fact that um, like just appearing to be a hateful person is like part of the occupational hazard of being a Christian these days. Um, because like we in many places have like reduced like like let it be reduced to that essentially. I think if we're going to do anything about that, we also have to be willing to issue blame and call things bad that are bad in ways that like we are like very regrettably scared to do in a lot of ways. So on the other hand, like I don't want to lose the ability for us to be like this thing is not allowed. Like, this isn't okay for you to do this. And then one of the things I'm thinking of is, like, I think, like, we, for example, have to stop letting political, like, party membership be something that is, like, somehow morally neutral, for example. Um, just to, like, cut to the chase as to, like, why it is that Christians, like, appear to be hateful and racist. Like, one of the reasons why that is the case is that it's almost taken for granted these days that to be a Christian is automatically to be a Republican, and like, like it or not, the Republican Party is very visibly the racist party. That doesn't mean the Democrats are not capable of being racist. Yes, they, are. they certainly are. And they have been, right? There's lots of examples of that. But like, the Republican Party, like, it's a matter of overt public policy. Yeah. To, like, racism is policy yeah. for Republicans. And the reason for that is not just because they don't like black and, black and brown people, it's because the Republican Party doesn't like poor people, yes. except insofar as poor people can be made useful for rich people, all right? So like, but it's regrettably taken for granted, as we've mentioned a few times tonight, that to be a Christian is to be a Republican. So I think we need to be able to say things like, Republicans are bad, or something like it. At least to be able to say, you can't do that. And, and in other words, we need to be able to, we need to, we, we have to be able to maintain the ability to, to have blame, right? And, and it be relatively uncomplicated. Because the reality is, in any, in any community, any moral community of any kind, whether Christian or otherwise, like, we don't know what to do if we don't have a healthy sense of praise and blame, mm-hmm. right? Like, if we can't say, do like this, these are the people you want to imitate, like, do what they do, then, then we don't know how to be good. And if we can't say this is, does not count as doing the life that we're trying to do, we, we're lost. Does that make sense? And I think at times, whether like in any denomination, it seems like we've lost the ability to do that 
And so that's like the flip side of this is, and I don't think that's the same thing as demonizing folks. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe one way of addressing your concern is to say that like, we have to always maintain the ability to listen carefully enough to the people who God is, send, is sending us to, to like actually interact with us specific people rather than interact with them under the label. Like if I, now I think it's bad to be a Republican. If you want to be a Christian, I don't think it makes sense right now. Maybe one day there could be a thing that we call Republican that it would be okay for Christians to do. These days, I can't figure out how you do that, worshiping Jesus, because he likes poor people and they don't, mm -hmm. all right? So like, if nothing else, there's that. Um, but if I wrote off every person who is a Republican, which by the way is something, to go back to the question of like, what's the difference between this and doing it in a secular way? Like, liberal folks, lots of times do just, I mean, they, they hate the piss off of Republicans in the same way that Republicans hate the, hate the piss out of liberals or whatever, right? So if I wrote off every single Republican and wasn't willing to actually meet them as a human being mm -hmm. and to find out what's going on there, I mean, who would I even talk to? Right? Like a lot of y'all, I think it's fair to say, like a lot of you just wouldn't be here. Some of the people that are on my staff wouldn't be on my staff. Like, um, so I don't know if that addresses your question. But yeah, there you go. Yeah, right. Yeah. Sure, and you're not the only one. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, When we are put, like, categorizing people, I don't think is something we can totally do away with because we need praise and blame. I think categorizing people for the sake of flattening out the world so we don't actually have to deal with the complexity of it and so that we can excuse ourselves of loving certain people is, is something else. Um, Especially when he's talking to the oh, scribes yeah. and the Pharisees. Yes. He's like, you scribes, how yes. are you going to get into heaven? Right. You know? um, right. Does he know those guys? <laughs> he's, that's broad strokes, right? Like, I also want to say that like, um, he's not like telling the truth to get them. You know, I mean, maybe he is. But it's because like he has to. That just like is his person and who he is. And so he... He can't do anything other than tell the truth. And the truth is, he knows who God is, and they don't. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we also have to be able to say that and things like that. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like... Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Seems like you're retired, and there's several people that have left. So any more questions or thoughts? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Do I understand you right, rightly that you're saying that like there is such a thing as like shame that's like good and a part of what it means to be in a community where we're practicing repentance? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we don't need to protect people from being ashamed. And in fact, like, it is part of our responsibility to cultivate um, a, a, pecu- a, a peculiarly Christian kind of communal shame. But like, you don't know, like, you don't know what to be ashamed of mm-hmm. about a lot of things at least without like someone showing you yep. that you ought to be ashamed. Yeah. Any closing thoughts? Things you want to make sure we don't forget? Mm, I love y'all. Oh, Chase has something. Oh. Phil, one more thing. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, like, what you um, have risked in your life in defense of, like, not letting racist people continue to be racist. But I'm going to ask you this question, which is, um, I might be drawing connections here that are actually there, but out of the story of the prodigal son and the two sons, which one of them most resembles, like, the racists of today? Um, I think, like, the flavor to that is, like, for me, it seems like somehow it's the second. 
when I read it, like I, I saw myself as the second son. And so um, I think that it, I mean, I think that that's important that you do that connection there. Um, but what I, what I see is him being really insecure, actually. Um, and I think the thing, and I, I mean, I, I suppose it could answer your question too, but I think the thing that like, for him is at stake is that he has to share, um, whether that be like resources or God's love or whatever. Um, and maybe he thinks that there's like not enough to go around. So. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, the son returning is someone who has, like, mm-hmm. learned to repent the first mm-hmm. time and come back to the fold. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how, yeah, that's how I originally had interpreted it or whatever. But, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Will you pray for us? I would love to. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this night. I thank you for every single person represented in here tonight, and I thank you for their families. I pray that you would bless each of them profusely, that your grace and joy would abound in every single one of their lives. I thank you for being a truth teller, and I thank you for the ways that you have compelled us all to do the same. I pray that you would whisper to us, that you would speak to us, and that we would be obedient. Um, I pray that we would be willing to risk our lives to be obedient to you. Um, And I pray that you would show us how to love each other better, um, to love you better, and to be loved by you better. I thank you for Ryan and the staff of the Wesley. I pray that you would bless every single one of them. I pray that you would bless this ministry, both spiritually and financially. Um, and I pray that we would continue to have conversations like this. I pray that people's hearts would be open, um, and that we would be vulnerable and that we would become more and more comfortable dispelling the mystery of our sin. I pray all these things in your holy name.